So they built this for me up here. I thought I might as well preach from here. So yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Yes, 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 yes. No, no, please, please. <laughs> All right. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there's no room for God. So, last week we talked about, for two weeks, we talked about purity. And this morning we're talking about pride. So I'm not sure who's more of a glutton for punishment, you or me, when it comes to this series and all the things that we're talking about. God is doing some amazing things, though, even though we're talking about some challenging, challenging uh, verses God is doing some amazing things within the church. God is moving in our hearts and moving in our lives in such a way that I'm seeing some dramatic, dramatic transformation going on. So as we continue the series, what I want to do, like I said, I want to talk about this, this whole idea of forgotten virtues. I want to talk about something that the Bible clearly says that God hates. He hates it. Some of you thinking, what? Wait a second. God hates. What is it that God hates? Well, Solomon tells us in Proverbs about what God hates. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, it says this, Six things, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run into evil, a false witness who speaks lies and the one who sows discord among brethren. Of all the things that God hates, and there are many parts of the Bible where it said God hates certain things. Of all the things that God hates here, though, the number one thing listed is pride. Pride. And some of the forgotten virtues that we've been talking about, humility is becoming one of those forgotten virtues. And even within the church, in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 37, it says, Those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. In Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 31, we're told this, Behold, I am against you, O most haughty one. In almost every instance in the Bible, and even in life as we live our lives, those who seek after pride, those who are proud, are really brought low. It doesn't work out for them. There's ultimate failure. The Bible continually warns us against this attitude of pride and what it does to our relationships, what it does to our inner being, what it does to all the things that go on around us, how we treat other people. Pride is a poison. Pride has devastated the world devastated the world. Pride caused the fall of Lucifer from heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17, it says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And I was, I was reading through this this week. Ron Rhodes wrote this and I really liked it. He said, Lucifer became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged to God alone. The sin that corrupted Lucifer was self-generated pride. Today, pride keeps people, keeps millions of people from Christ because they think to themselves, 
what are my friends or my family going to think if I, if, I, if I give my life to Christ? If I live for Christ? What are people going to think or what are people going to say if, if I start talking about Christ? If I start sharing Christ? How am I, how's that going to affect my life? What are people going to think? How are people going to respond to me? Pride. In Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, it says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's what I was saying before. Throughout the Bible and in our own lives, when we go after, when we seek after, when we become proud, it ultimately leads to our destruction. It ultimately leads to our destruction. I don't think we see it for what it truly is. A true sign, you want to you follow after, like you want to pick people sometimes, say, well, this is the kind of person I'd like to be like. You, you, you need to find people who are humble. And a true, because a true sign of maturity, of spiritual maturity, is a person who is humble. If a person is humble, and it's hard to figure this out sometimes, we think, well, that person's humble, this person's humble, but you can have, you can have, you can fake humility in the church. You can fake humility in the world. People can seem humble, but in their hearts, they're really not. If, but if you watch a person over time, if you see a person over there over years and years, you'll know if that person is humble enough by the way they, by the way they carry themselves, by the things they say, by how they treat other people, how they respond to other people, how they respond when things don't go their way, when they're not given credit. How does a person respond to those things? See, pride creeps into almost every area of our lives. Have you ever been frustrated because you wanted to be or thought you were the exception to the rule? Think about it. You wanted to be or you really, you really thought you were the, the exception to the rule. Have, have, you, have you ever claimed that you had more of a role in a particular project than you did? That you had more of a role in starting an organization than, than you did? that you had more of a role in this, this event or whatever it is than you actually had. You took more credit for something than you deserved. You kind of talked yourself into the fact, well, if it wasn't for me, and if it wasn't for me, and if it wasn't for me. You know, I, I go through these, these things in my mind sometimes. And I think, gosh, wow, look at, look, at, look at where we ended up. And I thought, I think to myself, wait, process through this. If it wasn't for that person who introduced you to that person who then helped you do this, who then introduced you or whatever, or brought this to play. It's really, at the end of the day, if you really humble yourself and look at where you are in many cases, obviously you worked hard. Obviously you, you followed God's lead. But if you look around you, there's a lot of people that, that, that are around you that help you get to where you are. Because of the introduction, because of the opportunity, they put it before you. And smart people will take advantage of opportunities. That's good. That's a good thing. But you have to ask yourself, do you take more credit sometimes than you deserve? You have to realize, and this is something I realize in life, people are experts at rewriting history. People love to rewrite history sometimes. But how do you respond when that happens? At work, do you... Do you uh, 
you know, do you build up your, your, your position? Do you, do you inflate your numbers? Do you exaggerate your abilities when you're, when you're around other people? When you go into, when you are at work and you're working on a project with other people and maybe they decide, hey, why don't you go in? You're the best speaker. Why don't you go in and present this to the boss or present this to the board or present this to whoever? When you go in, do you take more credit in that environment than you should? Or are you making sure that you're giving everyone on your team who had a part in that the credit that they deserve? Do you ever think to yourself um, that God has ever thought ever entered your mind? You know, everybody, God loves everybody and everyone has a purpose, but God just seems to have a, a, a more significant purpose, a better purpose, whatever you want for you. He's got a better some some kind of special design for you beyond what other people have that thought enters your mind sometimes i think satan pours into us along with our sinful nature and we start to think more highly of ourselves and all of those thoughts going into a room and taking more credit taking more credit for this or that the other thing or you know if it wasn't for me all of those thoughts god god has a better plan for me all those thoughts have their foundation have their foundation in pride. And pride is not limited to individuals. Pride is not limited to individuals. You can have, you, it, it permeates every part of our society. For example, organizations can, be, can have pride, can, can have that arrogance. Um, countries can be arrogant, can begin to, to be proud in their spirits uh, you know, I, I pray for our country that we would continue to have a spirit of humility because pride does things that are so they, that deteriorate and destroy. When you have a country, when a country gets consumed with pride, when pride becomes the focal point, then human uh, dignity is up for grabs. Human life becomes like caring about or putting people in a place where you esteem them. That becomes optional because other people in a culture like that become inferior. And when other people, when a country begins to behave that way and other people become inferior to whoever it is that's in power, bad things happen. Gas chambers, genocide, abortion, and you have comments you start to have comments from famous people, this famous atheist, Richard Dawkins, speaking about uh, children with Down syndrome, said this. I want you to listen to the words. Abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have the choice. See, the, 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 that's, proud, that's pride. Some people don't see it as pride. It's pride. I want to read it to you again. I want you to listen to the words. How important I am and how important that is not. Abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have the choice. It, not he or she or they. Pride. I'm more important than it. As soon as, I, as, soon as you get that pride, then I have more significance than you have. I've inflated myself. And you have to watch out when that kind of thing happens. Throughout history, it is pride. The foundation of all this is pride. I can put people in gas chambers because they're no longer people. They're its. 
They're not completely human, or at least they're not supermen like we are, of course. This is where pride comes in. Now, there's also a good pride. Touch on that for just a second. The pride that says, you know, when you do a job well done, you can have pride in a job well done. Or you're working on a, on a team at your job and you work together and you get that project completed and you feel pride in accomplishing that project and doing your part within that project. That's good pride. I'm proud of this church. I'm proud of you. And I'll tell you why, especially over the last, I mean, it's been this way for 15 years, but in the last six or seven months, I've seen some things, and I love this about the spiritual maturity of the people within the church, and I'm proud of being a part of this church, and here's why, because we just don't throw money at issues and problems. You get involved in people's lives. You invest not just your resources, but you invest your time and your effort and your love and your compassion in people's lives. Someone's hurting. It's not just about throwing a couple dollars at that person. It's trying to find that person a job or investing in them in some way that they don't end up in a worse place than they are right now. It's coming around people who can't really think for themselves sometimes because they're so overwhelmed with all the things that are going on and each person taking a piece of what's going on and fixing, if you will, that problem to put that person in a better place. These are the kinds of things that happen. I see all the time in our church. I love it. I'm proud to be a part of a church that doesn't just talk, but walks the walk, gives of themselves, not just financially, but sacrificially, tries to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That is humility when you give of yourself. See, but misplaced pride misplaced pride begins to begins to puff us up and the bible says that that when you're puffed up that's not where we need to be we need in a place of humility and love when we think more highly of ourselves and when we misplace pride all of a sudden we start to go down rows and say things and do things that that we shouldn't be doing and when we do that it's not just wrong my friends it's toxic it has the ability to destroy and corrupt. The Bible says a lot about the proud, the proud. When the Bible speaks of a person, when it talks about a fool, the Bible talks, especially Proverbs, talks about someone who's a fool. It really has nothing to do with that person's intellect, how smart they are. It has everything to do with how arrogant they are, with how proud they are. That's what the Bible talks about. It's exalting. When the Bible calls someone a fool, it's because that person's exalting themselves, is exalting their opinions over everyone else's, including God's. When God speaks on a subject that has to do with culture, when God speaks on a subject to say, I think, I think, I think, I think, is arrogant and proud. God has already spoken. And so what you do, what we do is we put ourselves in above God. And that's pride. That's pride. A fool thinks their opinion or their thoughts or their ideas are more important than someone else's, even God's. And therein lies the problem. Pride, pride, pride often shows itself in two ways. And I want you to process through this with me. Arrogance and self-pity. Arrogance and self-pity. So pride shows itself, not just in these two ways, but here's two ways it's, it's done. Pride and self-pity. Um, arrogance and self-pity. So you have arrogance. Arrogance says, I'm great. 
and you all know it, right? I mean, look at the shirt. It's a nice, it's a nice orange shirt. I mean, only real men can wear orange shirts like this and get away with it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know what I mean? I'm great, and you all know it, right? That's arrogance. We all know that when someone's arrogant, when you meet an arrogant person, you said, oh, that person's filled, filled with pride. They're not humble. It sticks out. So arrogance says, I'm great, and you all know it. Self-pity is wounded pride. It's wounded pride. And see, most people recognize arrogance, but they don't recognize self-pity as being associated with pride. Self-pity is wounded pride. And what self-pity says is, I'm great and you all just don't recognize it. You don't see how amazing my shirt truly is. You know, and that's your problem. Your problem is you don't recognize how truly amazing I am. Self-pity is wounded pride. I'm great and you all don't recognize it. And some people look at people who have, say, well, just pick on people who have lots of resources and people call them arrogant and they're proud and they're this and they're that. You know, they're, and they're all worked up about it. And in their hearts, if Jesus were standing there, he'd pull them aside and say, let's talk about this for a second. You're, you have wounded pride, right? Yeah, well, I, I deserve it. I don't think these people should. Mm-hmm, I understand. Well, tell me about it. Oh, I'm, great. I'm great. I'm just as good as that person. I don't see why they don't understand. If they just recognize how great I am, I'd be the president that comes instead of him. Mm-hmm. Both sides. See, people like to point fingers at everybody else and tell everybody else how proud and arrogant they are when reality is you can pick out an arrogant person and how pride, prideful they are sometimes, but a person who has self-pity, that's just wounded pride, and they're telling you how great they are, and the problem is you just don't recognize it. Pride left unchecked becomes, itself, it becomes self-deception instead of, instead of, instead of like having revealing who you truly are, instead of self-reflection, you have self-deception. Pride leads to self-deception. You deceive yourself. You start to deceive yourself. I was the one, and I should be the one, and I don't understand why. Self-deception. As opposed to self-reflection. We talked about it so many times. Self-reflection leads to humility. Well, boy, look where, we, look where we are right now. Boy, we really did this. And, and, and it's, well, thank God for so-and-so because if he didn't do this, we wouldn't be here. And I'm so thankful that this person brings so much to the table because we were in that meeting. And if it wasn't for him, we'd have lost that deal. And I don't know what we'd have done if I didn't have. That's self-reflection. Thank you, God, for putting me in this place. Thank you, God, for using me. Thank you for allowing me to be the leader, but surrounded by so many other people who have helped us to the point where we are right now. Self-reflection. It wasn't all about me. I didn't do it all. God put so many others around me, and it was really God who did it through all of us. See, the lie, the lie you tell yourself when you have self-deception, the lie you tell yourself becomes the truth. The lie you start telling yourself, that becomes, that becomes the truth. And see, we all know, we all know that we talked about Lucifer falling and, you know, the arrogance and I'm so beautiful and I'm so great. I, I, the glory should be mine as well. The other sin, though, the first human sin, okay, was pride as well. That was pride as well. Adam and Eve refused to listen to God's command and instead embrace Satan's idea that they could create a paradise of their own without God. 
without God. Satan basically saying, you're so great. You can do this. You can build this. You can have this. You are a God. You don't need God. You can have it all. And so they started living. They, they, you begin to live life like you don't need God. I don't need it. I can do this on my own. I'll pull myself my own bootstrap. It was all me and I did it. And if it wasn't for me and all, the, and all of a sudden you can do it on your own. And they even delude themselves into thinking that I can have purpose without God. I can live a life of purpose without God, which is total. Honestly, it's just unreasonable, illogical. Without God, there is no purpose. I stand here and say, well, I have a purpose without God. I, I myself, because you try to make yourself a God. But the reality is, wait a second, there's no God. There is no purpose. I'm no more significant than a one-celled whatever. But no, the lie was that Satan flattered them. Satan began to flatter them. Oh, if God only, no reason that God's not doing this and he begins to lie, but it's the flattery. It's the flattery. A fool embraces flattery because it fuels their fire. A fuel begins to embrace that flattery. Pride feeds on flattery. Pride just feeds on flattery and recognition. They want to, it feeds on, on flattery and recognition. It wants to be recognized. It, I see this all the time in our culture with like, uh, older athletes or older um, uh, actors and actresses. You know, all their lives it was like, oh, you're so great, you're so wonderful, and they just feed on that flattery. And all of a sudden they get to a certain point and no one's, no one's doing that anymore. But they so desperately need it. They need it so badly. And so they'll do almost anything to get it. Who they marry, how they behave. They'll do all kinds of things where you look back and say, wasn't this person, didn't this person, they had, they had integrity, they had care. And all of a sudden they throw it all away just to get back in the limelight, just to get, just to get themselves back in the front where people can clap and say, oh, oh, you're so wonderful. Because when they were this big, oh, they were so, they're so wonderful, they're so wonderful. And all of a sudden that goes away. That goes away and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to act. They don't know. They don't know how to behave because they need that flattery. And Satan used that in the garden. He, he wanted he, he, we, we want that flattery. We we so want that flattery to be true. And so we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves and we take the bait and the bait is constant. The bait. I would love to fill this room with people who don't know the Lord, who are 40 and over and ask them, how's it going for you? All that you were told, all that you were sold, all the bait, all the carrots, all the things they held out for you. How's it? How did it work out for you? Your heart full. You feel you feel so good about yourself. And how's it working out for you? Because all that Satan offers us, he uses our pride. He uses that sinful nature. He says, oh, if you just had this, if you just had that. And he, he holds it out in the bait. And we, we, we feed on that flattery and we take the bait and it leads us into darkness, into depression, into discouragement. We thought it was going to bring us what our heart desired, but only God can do that. And I wish I could tell you, I wish I could just say, well, see, Satan leads us this way. And if we just give our hearts to Christ, then it'll all go away. But, but to tell you the truth, I know that's not completely true. I mean, you give your heart to Christ and you have the ability. You then have the ability to overcome pride and be more humble. But the disciples kind of put that to bed in Luke chapter 9 and verse 46, they're asking questions like, who's going to be the greatest? 
Who's going to, who, well, I, you, I need to sit in your right, on your right hand. Who's going to be your greatest? And her mom's running up asking the same question. Who's going to be the greatest? Before the resurrection, even after the resurrection, they still, they still struggled with that pride. It is extremely difficult to overcome, but we can do it. We can do it, but we can't just, we can't lay it aside and say, well, the world's filled with these proud, arrogant people. Before we go out and start looking at the world, we need to address ourselves right here at home. Spiritual pride has its own set of issues. It has its own set of issues. Some become prideful in their biblical knowledge, for example. All my life, I've seen people who, are, who behave this way in their biblical knowledge. They, um, they'll, they'll do things like this. They'll, they'll come up, they'll be in a group, and they'll throw out a scripture verse, you know, blah, 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 and this, that, and, you know, as James 1.27 says, and then they'll stand there. Finish, tell, tell us what it says, man. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You know what I love? Go, go home and go find an obscure passage in Ezekiel and study it, okay? And when someone throws something like that, I say, yeah, Ezekiel chapter 4. You know, have your own verse, okay? And just look at them. You know what that says, right? We all know what Ezekiel. We need to, you know what a humble person says? They're in a conversation with a bunch of people. Everybody's listening. They say, well, you know, James 1.27, finish it. Religion that our God and Father accepts is pure. Oh, yeah, I love that verse. But what happens is people with biblical knowledge become sometimes their arrogance comes out and they make people uncomfortable. And the Bible tells us that that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, love comes from humility. To love people comes from humility. A humble person doesn't want to make other people in the room feel awkward feel inadequate, feel like they don't know the Bible, feel like they're foolish or stupid. That's not what a humble person wants to do. A humble person cares. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And there is an epidemic of pride in the Christian world. And I would say an epidemic of pride in our world. It shows itself when I call spiritual... um, It's it's more like a, 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 a posturing, if you will a spiritual posturing that we make people uncomfortable. People are consumed with, I'll give you an example. Um, and, it, and it actually hurts myself for the folks that I watch do this, but they get themselves in a situation. It's almost like they have to think through everything they're going to say, how they look, their, fa- their facial expressions, when, when they say something. And it's like, it's almost like, I, I want to say to the person, you must be exhausted. You must be absolutely exhausted having to worry about your, what you look like and what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. And all, all, it's almost everything is choreographed. Their whole spirit, they're choreographed. It's like, hey, relax, relax. Just share your heart. Just talk. But it's, it's spiritual posturing. It's, you, you kind of get a one, one-upmanship with people. And the problem is, if they're, they're not living for an audience of one. We talked about this in Mexico with the high school students. I kept on explaining to them why it's important to live to an audience of one. One. Behave by the way you live, what you say. Live to an audience of one. The only person you should worry about what you're saying or doing is Jesus Christ. But they're not living for an audience of one. They're living for the applause of others. So when they walk into a room, they're just looking for every, what everyone else is thinking, what everyone else is going to say, how everyone else is going to think about what they say and how they look and all this kind of thing. 
And it's hurting. It's hurting the body of Christ. Christian pride often hides itself in false humility. In false humility, the, the heart slips into pride inside but has the, has the veneer of humility still on the outside. There's an outside, you know, there's an acting humble, but inside pride has already gotten in and began to corrupt. It's that kind of pride that leads people to say things like, you know, they, they do something and they play down what they did in order for you to say, oh, no, no, that was great. Well, wait, I, I wouldn't use the word great. I mean, jump in front of that, that, that bus for that baby that, you know, <laughs> anyone would do it. You know what I'm saying? You know, how I flew through the air with one hand and held that baby and, you know, handed it to the person and then fell on the sidewalk. That's not, that's not that big of a You say, oh, no, no, that we got it on. But it was really, well, you know, <laughs> you know, because they want you to say, wow, that was amazing. You're so great. You're so wonderful. You're so, and that's what happens. We begin to behave and think that way. It shows itself in churches and organizations. We, we need to be careful. We, Grace Chapel, needs to be careful. I see it, I, not, not just in our church, but I hear this. I go to conferences and I speak to pastors and I, we talk to other people all around. And you hear things like, we're the first faith-based blob to do this. We were the first ones to do that. We're the first ones, we're the first, we're the biggest, we're the best, we're the first. Wait, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, I know that. I know it says that. But we're the first ones to do something new under the sun anyway. Because, yeah, I, I understand that's true. But it, and what that does, it begins, to, it begins to corrupt and break things down. Listen, being the first and being the best and being the biggest and being the most is harming the universal body of Christ, if you will. Believers in Jesus Christ. We had a situation in our staff meeting where we wanted, we were planning on rolling out something new. And we thought this person would be really, someone brought up someone's name. And we said, is that, oh, that person available? Well, they're still a part of, and it was a church that's smaller than we are. Well, it's still a part of, they're still a part of this. And so the staff as a whole, which you should be proud of in a very good way. No, we can't do that because that will, as much as it would help us, it may hurt someone else. We can't hurt the body of Christ. Thinking of how the other staff would feel, how the other person would feel. Not just about how it would benefit you, but see, when you get, when, when there's arrogance and pride and have to be the biggest and have to be the best and have to be the first and have to be the most all the time, you don't care about what happens to any, anybody else. That hurts the universal body of Jesus Christ. It's about building the kingdom of God, not building our own kingdom. And so we need to be really, really careful within our own church that when, when we do something unorthodox, I use that word unorthodox and out of the box and creative and innovative and all those kind of things, and I want to motivate and I'm excited about that. But we need to be careful that when we're doing that, we're not saying, well, that's, nobody else is doing it. We're the, we're the greatest, we're the best, we're the most, we're the first. I thought, I actually thought, I hadn't heard anybody else do something we were doing. And, uh, and I didn't say, oh, we're the first, we're the best. I was just thinking to myself, maybe, you know, pride inside without telling you. Um, I'm thinking, we're, you know, well, we're first to do this. And I went to a conference and found out that Wesley was doing it like, you know, whatever, years ago. John Wesley, I'm like, holy mackerel. You know, you think, you think sometimes that you're so innovative, but they were doing it 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago. You start reading the Bible and go, wait a second, that Paul was doing that before I even thought of it. That's probably where I got the idea. 
And when you do something innovative and creative, know what you need to do? You need to give the glory to God. When something turns out really great, you say, thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to do this, and you should receive all the glory. You know why? You know why? Because this is what really stuck me, and this wasn't during this sermon. This was about a year ago. I was reading through Proverbs, and it talked about what God hated. And there are other verses in the Bible that talk about that God just can't stand arrogance and pride. I thought, man, if God hates it, if God doesn't like it, if God can't stand it, if if it's an abomination to him, boy, I really need to make sure that we're not do. our church is not involved in that. I'm personally not offending God in that way. It's important. He doesn't like it at all. Can't stand it. So certainly we we don't want to behave in such a way that God can't stand. This is so important. This is so significant. And we as a church need to make sure that we are being humble and we need to call each other on it in a loving way. We need to make sure we need to ask each other questions when we start to behave, when this starts to creep out. We need to stop and we need to take we need to take account here and ask ourselves some questions because we will not be blessed by God if we behave this way. The desire to be number one is harming the body of Christ. We're harming the body of Christ because we have such a desire to be the next best speaker, the next best. Nothing wrong with being a speaker, the next best author. Nothing wrong with being an author. The next we are, we're on the cover of or we're, the, we're, the, we're on the, the headliner of. Nothing wrong with those things as long as you're humble, as long as there's humility, as long as you're giving God the glory. But when that doesn't happen, we are harming the body of Jesus Christ. It causes, the, it causes leaders to fail and to fall. We see it all the time, thinking that somehow they get themselves in a position, everyone's clapping, they're so amazing, they're so incredible, oh my goodness, look at everyone around me. And they begin to think they're above the law, not only man's law, but God's law. Arrogance. Or the other way around. When I graduated from college, I thought I'd be speaking in a, in a cathedral or a, a sanctuary of 25,000 people. And I don't understand what is wrong with everyone. I'm so great. Why doesn't everyone recognize I'm so great? And so instead of thinking I'm above the law and I'm so whatever, they have self-pity, okay, which is, right, wounded pride. And they go out and do something stupid because they feel like they're just so frustrated about the fact that they're not where they want to be, where they deserve to be because God had a better plan for them than he had for other people and they can't figure out why it's not working out for them. So they go out and do something stupid. It always comes back to pride. It comes back to pride. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of it. And not even the writer of Proverbs, not even Solomon was immune. You would think if there was someone that could overcome this, it would be this guy. It would be him. I mean, how much did God bless him? He was, he was rich beyond measure. He had political power. He was healthy. He was wise. The Bible says he was the wisest person who ever lived. He had all of that, all of that. And you would think he had all, he, he had more than the world had ever seen before. So you would think in gratitude for what God had given him, he would remain humbly faithful to that God. Because all that God had done for him. But unfortunately, the opposite is true. 
Solomon began to just suck up. He was completely consumed with pride and he fell into idolatry. I want to read you something that's absolutely amazing. Okay, wisest person ever lived. He knew the word of God. He knew he knew what the he knew what the prophets had said and what the word of God said. Deuteronomy 17, 16 through 18. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not have many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on the scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests instead you read that you heard it okay instead in first kings ten fourteen, it tells us the weight of the gold that solomon received was nearly six 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 talents 666 talents i find that number to be absolutely astounding 666 666 that was between a year okay yearly that was between one billion ninety two million dollars and one billion one hundred and sixty five million seven hundred and sixty six thousand four hundred bucks that's what he was accumulating wait a second wait a second that's staggering but doesn't it i I read somewhere recently must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold okay then it says in first in first Kings chapter ten verse twenty six Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had fourteen hundred chariots, twelve thousand horses. Wait a second. I read somewhere somewhere he shouldn't have that many horses. Must not acquire a great number of horses for himself. Well, twelve thousand. Must not not that many. I'm sure many of you have twelve thousand horses running around your yard. Just you know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a manure business you have going for yourself. First Kings. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, says that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 700 wives, 300 concubines. But, and they led him astray because he picked these wives from different parts of the world. They all had different gods. He brought them all in the same place and they were worshiping different gods all the time and he was being led astray. In 1 Kings, it tells us this in chapter 11. It says, as Solomon grew older... His wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father had been. If Solomon in all of his wisdom and all of his blessing and all that he received from God was not able to overcome this. And what gives you and I any hope that we can be humble? If he wasn't able to do it with all of his wisdom, how are we going to be able to do it? Well, I'll tell you why we're going to be able to do it. Because we don't worship Solomon. We worship Jesus Christ. We don't worship Solomon. We worship Jesus Christ. Who took on the very nature of a servant. We worship the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. Who came down to earth and took on the very nature of a servant. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 it says this. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God. Something to be used for his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. You want to overcome pride? You need to focus on Jesus Christ. You need to study Philippians chapter 2. You need to memorize Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, and preach it to yourself every day. 
You want to overcome pride? You want to overcome arrogance? Then you need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. He needs to be our example. He was the example of humility. No matter who else couldn't follow through, we still can because we have the power of the resurrection that lives in us. And God says, be like my son. Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we can become humble people. We can be humble. We don't need to be proud and arrogant. We can be humble. I love, I love this, uh, this quote. Andrew Murray said this, The humble man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can bear to hear others praised while he is forgotten because he has received the spirit of Jesus who pleased not himself, and who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. I love this other quote. M.R. Dehan said this, Humility is something we should constantly pray for. Listen to this. Pray for, yet never thank God that we have. We should pray for it, but never thank God that we have it, that we've arrived. Let me close with two examples. One, I, the, these two stories, especially this first one, I absolutely love. I love this story. You remember, you remember, the person, you remember Booker T. Washington, the famous educator? He was a, he was a black educator. And this is, this is one of the most outstanding stories of humility. I'm going to read it to you. Shortly after he took his presidency, at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Because he had no, because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to do the humble chore she had requested. When he, was, when he was finished, he carried the logs into her house and stacked them by her fireplace. A little girl recognized him and later told the woman who he was. The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office at the Institute and apologized profusely. Listen, it's perfectly all right, madam, he replied. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long after, she showed her admiration by persuading some wealthy acquaintances to join her and donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute. That's an attitude of humility. That, my friends, is what changes the world. That's what changes the world. Living, having, living out your faith, living out the word of God. For all those people you disagree with, all the people who drive you crazy, all the people who make you frustrated, you want to change hearts, you want to change lives, you live out the humility of Jesus Christ. It cannot be denied. In his book, Eating Problems for Breakfast, Tim Hansel, who I love, said this, the famous inventor, Samuel Morse, was once asked if he ever encountered situations he didn't know what to do. Morse responded more than once 
And whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. Morse received many honors for his invention of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. Here's what he said. I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. That, that's humility. That's the attitude I, that's the attitude Jeff Greer needs to have. That's the attitude that we all need to have. That when God does something great, you know what? It was great. And you were able to do it. That was wonderful. No, don't take anything away from that. You used your gifts and your talents and your abilities and you did it. Praise God. You did it. But when we, when we do do it and people come to us and they sit down and they ask us questions, this is the kind of attitude that we should have. I'm so thankful that God would choose in his greatness to use me to bring this about. I'm so thankful. I'm so, I just want to praise God for how he's used me in whatever way you fill in the blank, how he's used me to bring this about. In a world where pastors and organizations desire to be number one, desire to be the best, desire to be the biggest, desire to be the most, whatever, and that, nah, 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 nah. This is what the apostle Paul wrote. For I am the least among the apostles. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. He said, I am the very, very least of all the saints. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, he said, of whom I am the worst. Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. That's the attitude that we should have. Ravi Zacharias once said something. That the moment he left his mouth, those words left his mouth, I have dwelt and thought about them from the moment he said them. He said, Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. And the reason being is those who were willing to, who wanted to be recognized in their faith were usually the ones who died for their faith. They were the martyrs. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes if that were still the case, how many of us would still be willing to stand for Jesus Christ? How many of us would still be willing to step out and say, I've written this and I stand by it. I'm speaking these words no matter what the culture says. I'm going to continue to speak these words. How many of us would still... And I'm to, you know what, for, you guys can take a break. How many of us who are in positions of authority, how many of us who are in positions as pastors and leaders and all this kind of thing would still, would still talk and say and behave and write the way they do if Christian celebrity brought with it what it used to bring with it, which was martyrdom? We need to be humble before a living, awesome, powerful God who gives us so much. And when we are humble, if we give ourselves to him and we are humble before him, that, my friends, will change our own hearts. And that, my friends, will change the people around us. And that, my friends, will change the culture. It will not be through anything else but the Christian community living out the word of God with a humble spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And God, I know, I know how difficult it is 
for us to hear some of these challenging words that you give us, whether it's on purity, whether it's on, uh, on this whole idea of pride. These virtues that we need to hold to, Lord God, I pray that you would help us. We need your help. We need your help to become the men and women, the young men and women, the boys and the girls that you've created us to be. God, I pray that you would help me personally to be more humble in my heart, to lead by example, not just by words, but by example. I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to be humble in our families, to be humble at work, to be humble, Lord, in our communities, that people would see your light shining through us and be drawn to you through our humility. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a phenomenal week. And